Well, today we are going to talk about abiding in 2022. Somebody say abide. And uh, when I think about this word abide, it, it is the Greek word meno, and it actually means to stay, um, to stay, to be firm and remain connected. Uh, we could also associate the word resting with this word abide. And you know, I think having plans and goals and priorities for the year and, and all of the new aspirations that you have, those are all great. And we need to have those. They're helpful. We need targets uh, to be aiming for. But what if all of those goals and targets were secondary to abiding this year? What if abiding was just the first thing that was on your heart and your mind for 2022? I bet that you could squeeze out the best that God has for you in this next year if we were focused on abiding this year. That word abiding is actually in the Bible associated with keeping our faith in Christ for our salvation. It's probably not new news to anybody. Um, but this word also can refer to a believer who is actively resting in Christ in a daily practical way. And here's the reality for you and I. It's this, that you can abide in Christ for your salvation and yet not abide in Christ when it comes to your everyday practical life. Have you ever experienced that before? Here's some signs that you might not be abiding well. The, the first one is that when the challenges of life come, I said when, did you hear that? When they come, um, they overtake you. Here's another sign that when we miss the activity of God in our everyday life situations, whether good things or bad things, uh, when good things come and we miss the activity of God, we go, man, aren't I awesome? Man, I can't believe I was that smart. Man, look at what I produced at work. Look at my amazing family. Look at my amazing uh, kids, rather than attributing things to, these things to God. And when things go difficult, we start blaming everybody and ourselves and others Rather than going, God, what's happening here? What are you doing here in this situation? Um, we know that we're not abiding well when the negative voices in our life, may, whether they come from the inside or from the outside, when those voices paralyze you. When it seems that the work of the enemy is around every corner and you just are seeing him everywhere in your life, but you fail to see God everywhere in your life too. That's are some signs that, that can let us know that we're not abiding well. And, you know, a few weeks ago, I had a, a, a really challenging situation happen, and I was a bit thrown off, and, and I wasn't feeling like myself. And it was about a week had gone by, and I was feeling a little anxious, and I was feeling a little stressed out. And, and um, all of a sudden, I started hearing these voices. And I started realizing, man, I'm not feeling like myself. This is not the Sean, the, the son of God that, that I know and that I'm very familiar with. And as I started hearing some of these voices, a lot of the old thoughts of my old life started coming back up in my mind. Have you ever been there before? And some of these old thoughts were saying, Sean, are you kidding me? Who do you think you are that you should be taking on the role of a pastor? You know you're not made for pastoring at the Grace Place and being an executive pastor. I mean, if people really knew who you are, if they really knew your capacity and the things that you struggle with, man, when word got out, you would be out on the street. Now, I know that sounds kind of silly, but you've got your own voices and your own lies that the enemy likes to say to you. After hearing this a few times, 
um, I felt the Holy Spirit encourage me to lean into the voice. And so, in fact, I grabbed my journal and I started listening. And I just, I started writing down just every nasty lie that the enemy had to say to me. I wrote it all out. And as I was writing, the Holy Spirit was like, do you see that is not me? Do you see that is not who you are? That is the enemy. And he began to speak the truth over me. And can I tell you something? When we abide in Christ, when lies come and challenges and temptations come to us, the Lord begins to speak very clearly. And it doesn't matter what the enemy has to say at any season of your life. He can say whatever he wants. But you can remain firm in the Lord when you abide in him, when you just draw into him, when you hear those lies come. Now, there had been seasons of my life before where when lies like that came, I would lean into them and I would think that they were true. And I would believe them for days and weeks and the anxiety and the stress would remain and sometimes months or sometimes an entire season. You ever been there before? But when we abide in Christ, the Holy Spirit just draws us in. And we know that when we're like off track and we can sense it and we can feel it. And so I want to encourage you that when you're not feeling like yourself and when your body is sending you those signals of stress and anxiety, let that be a sign that the Lord is saying, hey, come, come. You need to remain in me. You need to come and abide in me and be with me. You know, as I was searching for a New Year's message while all of these things were taking place, I couldn't get away from this word abide. So I started searching in scripture for the greatest New Year's message and, and I didn't find one. I didn't find a great New Year's message. So I just said, abide in 2022. Just try to give it a New Year's theme. Pastor's gonna bring a much better New Year's message next week. So make sure to come. But I couldn't get away from John 15 as I was studying this passage. And so I felt this was the direction that the Lord had us to go today. So if you got your Bibles, open them to John 15. And um, this is the parable of the vine and the branches. Anybody read this parable before? Uh, if you notice at the top, you're fill in the blank for all of you awesome, studious people who downloaded the notes from the Church Center app. You'll notice that there's some other scriptures at the top there. I put those there for you, uh, for some who want to go home and study this a little more. Uh, Matthew 21 is Matthew's version of this parable. He tells it differently, and there's some different insights in that parable that are not in this one that's very helpful. Isaiah chapter 5 is actually a prophecy of this very parable, and it's very helpful for insight as well. In Romans chapter 11, Paul is explaining this very parable situation to a group of Gentiles, which is, again, very helpful for us to understand this passage. Now, with all of these things, John chapter 15 also lays on the backdrop of John chapter 12 and John chapter 14. And so we've got to read all of this in context so that we really understand the full meaning. Here's another important thing. And by the way, you would know all these things if you came to our uh, How to Study the Bible session. Um, Now, John chapter 15 also is this, that Jesus is speaking to a Jewish audience. And it's very important because there's so many things in the old covenant system for these Jews that Jesus is directly addressing. And if we read this with 21st century eyes, we absolutely miss the bottom line that Jesus is bringing to this group of people. Are you ready to read John chapter 15 together? Say, "Uh uh-huh. All right, John chapter 15. I am the true vine, Jesus says, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. 
while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine and neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burn. And if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Verse nine, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments. I don't have time to teach on this and I'm not gonna refer to this at any point in the message, but I think it's important to understand that the commandments of Jesus are not the old covenant law. It was for the Israelites, but the commandments Jesus has for you and I under the new covenant are not the old covenant law. In John 12 and 14, we see Jesus lay the foundation of believing in him for salvation over and over and over and over. And here also, he says, remain in my love. And here's another command from Jesus. My commandment is this, that you love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this and he that lays his life down for one's friend. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, call you friends. For everything I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and I appointed you. Did you know that today? You did not choose him. He called you. You didn't even know that he was a heavenly father calling you until he showed himself to you. You didn't even know he was worth following until he showed himself worthy to you. But he loved you so much that he found you and he called you. Then he says this, I not only called you, but I appointed you that you would go and bear fruit, fruit that would last. And so whatever you ask in my name, the father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. Now, there's a lot in that passage, and honestly, could probably just, if you know me, I could probably spend four weeks in this passage. But we only have one in less than 30 minutes. And so this passage is really interesting. It's a very heavily debated passage amongst Christians. Some make this passage focus solely about Christians losing their salvation and arguments over fruit and what proves that somebody's saved and what proves that they're not. And others take a very historical approach. And I want to do that this morning. Here's why. Because as we read other passages throughout Scripture, there's no way that we can draw the conclusion from the totality of Scripture that a Christian loses his salvation solely because he's not bearing good fruit. Now, I don't think that a believer that is not producing much fruit is a very happy believer. I think that makes for a very miserable believer. I think that makes for a believer losing out on the joy of his salvation and the core of his calling to bear fruit and to love their neighbor. And I also think scripture is very clear that salvation comes by grace through faith. And if somebody decides that Jesus 
is not enough for their salvation and turns to somebody else or something else or another thing for their salvation, I think that it's very safe to say perhaps they have given up their salvation. But honestly, that judgment is really reserved for God. It's not really reserved for us. And I'm not really interested in being the judge. I'm interested in preaching the good news. And what somebody decides to do with that is between them and God. Now, here's the question. What did this parable mean to this Jewish audience? What came to their mind? Well, understanding that every Jewish boy, they had memorized the first five books of the Bible. They were very familiar with the Psalms and the writings of the prophets. I think that something very familiar came to them. I think that there was something in their mind. One of the things that we need to understand about the Jewish people, the Israelites, God's chosen people, is that they were his chosen people. In fact, they were God's chosen vineyard to spread the kingdom of God throughout the earth. Isn't that interesting? And God gave them opportunity time after time to spread his perfect kingdom rule. And how many of you know, if you read your Bible, you know they failed over and over and over again outside of a, a few believers who kept the message going and thank God for that. The problem with the Israelites is that they loved their authority over people more than they loved God's authority over them. They loved their elite status as God's chosen people more than they loved sharing his love with the world. And the Pharisees were the same way here. And religious people today are still the same way. And these people were judged throughout the entire Old Testament, terrible judgments because of their lack of obedience to the Father. And so as they hear the words of John 15 and two, that says he cuts off every branch that bears no fruit, it had to have reminded them of the words of Isaiah in chapter five, when God said this to them. I don't have, we don't have time to read it all. I'm gonna paraphrase it. Here's what God said to Israel in Isaiah chapter five. Israel, you are my beloved vineyard. See, this wasn't the first time they'd heard a vineyard parable. He said, you took great care in planting your fertile vineyard, Israel. And I looked forward to a fruitful harvest from you but your vines yielded wild grapes. Because of this, I'm gonna throw this vineyard out. Starking resemblance to John 15 too, isn't it? I looked for justice among you and I saw bloodshed. I looked for righteousness and I saw an outcry. We know that the crowd who was listening to this parable of the vine and the branches in John 15, they knew that they, they were the dead branch that was about to be cut off and thrown out because they were not bearing the fruit of Christ. They were bearing wild fruit. It's so important as we engage this passage that we understand from a historical perspective, the main focal point of this scripture is not telling Christians, if you don't bear fruit, you're gonna get cut off and get thrown out into the fire and burn in hell. That's really not what this scripture is implying at all. In fact, from a historical perspective, you are not the branch in this story. Israel is the branch in this story. It's so interesting that as Matthew foretells this same parable in chapter 21, verse 45, as this is read 
to this Israelite, this Jewish audience, scripture says this, when the chief priests and Pharisees heard Jesus' parable, they knew he was talking about them. Wow. They must have been stunned when they heard this. They must have been amazed when Jesus came and said, I'm tossing you out, Israel. You're being cut off. Why was Israel cut off? They were cut off because of their unbelief in Jesus. They refused to believe that he was the Messiah. And because of that, they were cut off. It's also fair to say that anybody who's an unbeliever and refuses to accept Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, that they are not a part of the family of God because they have chosen to not be a part of his family. They did not believe in him. But here is the good news in this big grand story as we look at it from today is that this, that the Israelites, the people who are under the old covenant system, they could not produce believers who were in good standing and righteous standing with God because they only produce wickedness through their law. That was the only thing that they could do. And Christ came and he said, I want you to know something. You thought, Israel, that you were the right vine, but I came to tell you that you are actually not the right vine. You were a temporary vine. You were, in fact, a vine that showed the world that no, how, no matter how perfect you tried to be, you couldn't be. And I want you to know this, Israel, that I'm actually the vine. I'm the true vine. I am the real vine. And the good news for you and I is this, is that our ethnic birth does not get to determine whether we're saved or not, or whether we get to abide in the branch or not. What gets to determine that? is Christ because he's the new vine. And he came and he called you and he came and he chose you. And he said, hey, come and be a part of my vineyard. Come and be a part of my family. And that's good for every single one of us because none of us are natural born Jews. We're not Israelites. So salvation under the Old Testament could not be given to us. It's not offered to us. It was offered to these people only. And so it's so interesting as we enter this scripture, we can draw the conclusion that anybody who's unbelieving is simply just not a part of God's family. And that was the case for the Israelites. So as we hear this scripture through the same ears that the original audience heard it, we can understand that this parable of the vine and the branches is very clear. It is about Israel being cut off from Christ, and it is about God establishing a brand new kind of vineyard, a brand new vineyard under a brand new agreement, a brand new covenant called the new covenant. Now, Understanding all of these things, here's what we notice in this passage. I notice as I look in my notes, I notice the faithfulness of the vine, the faithfulness of the vine. He says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. I am so glad that God was faithful to make a way for you and I to have a relationship with, his, with him. Aren't you grateful for that? Aren't you glad for that? I'm so glad. He was so faithful through all the generations, no matter how corrupt the church of the time was and the church of the day is, he will always provide a way for people to be saved. Are you grateful? The other thing that I notice is that I notice this, that he's faithful to produce fruitfulness. He will not leave you and I fruitless. Verse 2b says, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that will even be more fruitful. Now, how many of you know the first part of verse 2, he was speaking about unbelievers. In this latter part of verse 2, he's speaking about believers. Why? How do we know this? Well, because 
Apart from him, you can bear no fruit, right? And so if we're reading the scripture and it says every branch that bears fruit, believers, he prunes. It's so important for us to understand pruning. Jesus prunes us so that we can bear his kind of fruit. Because under the old covenant system, in that old vineyard, they could only bear one kind of fruit. Wicked wild fruit. They bore disobedience. Uh, they bore unrighteousness. Uh, they, they bore unfaithfulness. But when we're attached to this new vine as believers, we get to bear Christ's fruit. And you know what that kind of fruit is? We get to bear loving obedience. We get to bear righteousness. We get to bear justice for the world. We get to bear God's kingdom rule, spread his kingdom rule. You know, when we look at this word prune, this original word prune actually means to cleanse. See, when God prunes us, it's not because there's something terribly wrong with us. He saved us. We're in his family. We're grafted into the vine. And in fact, what he, you can think of pruning like sanctifying. You're in a process of becoming more like Christ. He prunes off your wrong belief systems. He prunes off the wrong ways that we approach scripture and come away with wrong conclusions. He, he prunes off wrong systems of thinking, wrong ways of living. And, and he helps us to think higher. When a, when, a, when a grapevine is pruned, it's to get it from, from growing along the ground, because that's what a grapevine would do. It's going to grow along the ground. But in fact, he puts a lattice around it and pulls, so, and he prunes all the dead off it and the disease, and he, and, he, and he grabs that little vine, and he ties it up around that lattice so that it can be aiming towards the sun and have, have some hope for going towards the right direction. And that vine begins to grow up towards the sun and bear a good fruit. And the only way it can do that is if there's some pruning. And God wants you to think higher. He wants you to have a higher view of his love. He wants you to have a, a higher view of his grace. He wants you to have a higher view of sin so that you realize how in need you are of him. The application question for us would be is, are we actively abiding and resting in Christ in a way that we're producing good fruit right now. Being a part of this vine, we also notice this, that, that he's faithful to produce righteousness. We see this in verse three. Here's what he says to you, vine, believer, if you're a believer in the house. He says, you are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. You are already clean. You don't need a final scrub up before you get to heaven. You're ready for heaven right now in this very moment. See, in the old covenant system under the old vineyard, they had to work for their righteousness and they were never clean enough. They had to come back for more and more and more and more works. But in this new vineyard, it's not that way. He simply declares to you, not because of your status, but because of his. See, a pure righteous vine cannot produce an unrighteous vine. It's impossible. So the only way that he can declare you clean is because you're now a product of his vine. You're a branch in his vine. And he only can do one thing. That is to produce a pure, righteous, clean vine. Do you believe that about you? 
Do you think that about yourself? Do you understand yourself that way? Is anybody glad for their righteous standing in Christ? See, the old system of the old vine, you had to earn your righteousness. And in the system of this new vine, this new covenant of grace, you inherit your righteousness. Jesus is telling people this. He's saying, you can't buy the kind of cleanliness that I need you to have. It's impossible. We learn that by watching you under the old covenant. So I had to give you my righteousness. Romans 5.17 describes it like this. Righteousness is a gift not to be earned by works, but to be received by faith. There's a question for you. What would it look like for you in 2020 to rest in this reality of this incredible gift? Next, we notice in the scripture that he's faithful to produce presence. Yeah, he produces his presence. This hit me so strong when I was reading this. I love what verse four says. He says, remain in me, as I also remain in you. I don't know if you caught that. Stay in me the same way that I stay in you. Because when I stay, I stay really good. Don't stay in me like the fickle ways of the world. Don't stay away in me like a a fickle spouse. Don't stay in me like a fickle friend. In fact, there's no other way for you to understand how I want you to stay. So the way I'm going to teach you how to stay is by watching me stay. Stay in me as I stay in you. Why? Because no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Now, we know there's some branches who, who, who uh, require more nourishment. We know there's some branches that are more fruitful. We know some branches are battered and they're weak and, and they get choked out. And, and Jesus is saying to those battered and weak branches, he's saying, hey, stay in me like I stay in you. Aren't you tired of bearing weak fruit that doesn't last? Aren't you tired of being sick and malnutrition? Aren't you tired of leaving church on Sunday excited and weakened by Monday? Aren't you tired of reading scripture on, on, on Wednesday morning and by lunchtime you're beat up and defeated? Aren't you tired of going to those Bible studies and days later being defeated all over again? Aren't you tired of that? If you are, stay in me the same way that I stay in you. I love Timothy, 2 Timothy 2 and 13. He says, if we're faithful, if we're faithless, he remains faithful because he cannot disown himself. When he says he's gonna be faithful, when he says he's gonna stay, he's not a man that he's gonna lie. He stays firm to teach you how to stay in him. I don't come and go like you come and go. My staying is strong. You know, I don't know who this word is for today, but Jesus is saying to somebody in this room that you're only worn out because you've been trying to avoid my pruning. Your branches are wiltering and you're not staying in me. 
you won't let me prune you. You insist on doing things your own way. And you and others around you are suffering for it. You are abusing my freedoms by resisting my pruning. Apart from me, you can bear no fruit. And here's the good news for you. As Jesus says, at the core of your heart, I know that is not your desire. You desire me. You desire righteousness to be birthed through you. You desire cleanliness. You desire fruit. You desire life. You desire healthiness. You desire wholeness. You desire and you yearn for those things is proof that my life is still flowing through you. Otherwise, you would not desire that. Stay in me as I stay in you, he says. We're talking about abiding in 2022. We're noticing the faithfulness of the vine and the incredible vineyard. He's faithful to produce fruitfulness, righteousness, his presence, and he's faithful to produce love. We see this in verse 12. He says, my commandment is this, love each other as I have loved you. Again, he's saying, I'm teaching you to love the world by how I love you. Don't love the world with the world's kind of love. I need you to love the world with my kind of love. And he says, don't love yourself with a fickle kind of love. I need you to love yourself with my kind of love. So we have to ask, well, how does he love us? Romans 5, 8 says, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. He gave us the greatest gift while we were at our worst. That's how he wants you to love. On our worst day, he provided his best gift. I can't say that I've loved people that well. That on someone's worst day, when they were my biggest enemy, that I gave them my best gift of love. That's the kind of love he wants us to give. How else does he love it? He loves us with his kindness. Romans says, it's the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. And that's how he won you over. When you were against him, when you offended him, he gave you a great gift and he was kind to you. Do you know that his kindness is not reserved for you only on your most righteous day? His kindness is reserved for you on your most unrighteous day as well. Because your righteousness does not depend upon you and your works. It depends upon him and his goodness. On your most unfruitful day, wilted branch, his kindness will prune you, lift you back up, tie you back to that lattice, expose you to the sun, nourish you, and breathe life right back into you. What if we had, what if the church, what if you, what if me, what if my family, what if the church globally, what if the church abided in Christ that way? And what if we were that fruitful? Can you imagine how the kingdom of God would spread in 2022?